Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Really excited that all of you guys are here. Uh, Christmas is one of my uh, is my favorite part of the year. Like it's my favorite time. Like the Christmas season is incredible. It is the only time of the year you can describe something as jolly and it not be weird. Like it is a wonderful uh, season. I love I love the Christmas season. Uh, and around the Christmas season, you'll hear people say regularly, maybe you've said it yourself, you'll hear people say things like, keep Christ in Christmas. Or you'll hear people say things like, Jesus is the reason for the season. Uh, and the whole purpose behind those sayings is are good, wonderful sayings. And the whole purpose behind those sayings is to remind us to not get so caught up in the decorations and the gifts and Santa, and family, and friends, and food, and traveling, and all of the other things that come with the Christmas season, and not get so caught up in those things that we, we fail to worship and praise the Lord for the, for the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, right? To, to, that, so that we don't forget, like, the whole purpose of Christmas, the whole purpose of this holiday is it is a time set aside for us to celebrate God for the birth of Jesus Christ, to, to celebrate Jesus and to lift him up. And so all of those phrases, those are reminders that, that we don't need to get so caught up in the rest of the things that come with Christmas that we, that we lose sight of the main reason for the holiday, which is to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But here's the thing. It's not just enough to say the words Merry Christmas or to read the nativity story before you open gifts. It's not just enough to, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we have to know who Jesus is. And we have to know the Jesus that we're celebrating. We have to know who, he's, who, who he is and what he's like. Otherwise, our celebration of his birth is empty, right? Jesus is not just another baby, but if we don't know who Jesus is, then he might as well be, right? We need to know who Jesus is in order to, to know who we're celebrating. Otherwise, our celebration of him is going to fall flat and is going to fall short of the celebration that he deserves. We have to know who Jesus is, which is why we've been talking about that for the past few weeks here at this church. And tonight, I want to remind you just one more time of who Jesus is. Tonight, I want to remind us of the fact that Jesus is a king. That he is, we're not just celebrating the birth of another child. We are celebrating the birth of a king. I want to take you back um, to uh, Old Testament times and, and the people of Israel who are meant to be God's chosen people. And the people of Israel were, Israel were rebellious, they were broken, they were, they were sinning against God, and what the people of Israel needed was a king. I, I think one of my favorite parts of the Christmas season is that so many people are, are celebrating this idea of peace on earth. Right? You hear that a lot around the Christmas season, peace, peace on earth. And we have this idealized view of, of world peace around Christmas time. Right? I think of the song Tonight is Christmas on the Alabama Christmas album, which is one of my favorite Christmas albums. If you've never heard it, I encourage you to go look it up. Wonderful Christmas album. Uh, but there's a song Tonight is Christmas on the Alabama Christmas album. And there's the, one of the verses, and it's uh, talking about the, the fact that you know, two armies are fighting overseas, and, and they're both passionate about their causes. They're willing to die for it or, or kill the other side for it. But, but tonight's Christmas, so no one's going to be firing a shot. The guns will be laid down. There will be temporary peace because tonight is Christmas, right? There's world peace on Christmas. Right? That's the, the, we have this idealized view of, of Christmas as this, this wonderful bright spot where everything just seems right, where there's peace in the world, where things seem okay. And, and the reason that we are so excited and why, the, why, why this idea of temporary one-day world peace gets us so excited is, is because our world does not have peace. Right? We are very aware of the fact that there is not peace in the world. 
We are very aware of the fact that there is violence and bloodshed and war. We are very aware of the fact that there is injustice and brokenness in our world. We are very aware of, of the fact that there is not peace. The Bible tells us that, that the reason there's not peace in the world and the reason that people don't have peace with each other is because we don't have peace with God. There's not peace in the world because humanity has had a, their, their relationship with God broken and separated. They've rebelled against him. There is no peace with God. In fact, the better way to describe it would be anarchy. That, that each and every one of us, every human does what is right in his or her own eyes, is following his or her own passions and desires, have rejected God as king and Lord and are doing their own thing. And because of that, there is no peace in the world because the world does not have peace with God. God called out the people of Israel in the Old Testament to be his kingdom, to, to, to set things right, to bring, be things, to, to bring things back into order, to, to bring things back in subjection to him, to, to return the world to, being, to have peace with God, to, to, to quell this anarchy and this chaos and this, this brokenness and to bring things back to the way they're supposed to be. And the thing is, Israel and Old Testament Israelites were just as bad as the rest of us. In fact, the book of Judges says what I just said earlier. The book of Judges says that in Israel, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody decided that, that they were going to follow their own path, and they all rejected God as king and Lord, just as every other human being on the planet always has, that we have rejected God's rule, and we have done what is right in our own eyes. That's what ancient Israel did. And so like the rest of the world, ancient Israel needed a king who would come and who would restore the world back to the way it was supposed to be, a king who would lead his people and bring them in conformity to the will of God, bring his people in subjection to the Lord and, and, and so that Israel could go and do the thing they were supposed to do, which is bring the rest of the world in conformity to God. They needed a king to rule them and lead them and bring them back in subjection to the Lord. And they get a glimpse of this king in David, the second king in Israel's history, First one didn't go well. They got a king, it didn't go well. And, and uh, the, the, the name of the king is Saul, the first one. And the name Saul literally means, uh, is translated, the one you chose, right? So the idea that, uh, is that the Israelites decided to make a king in their own image, and they picked the king they wanted, and, and it did not go well. And so the, what happened next is God deposed that king, he got rid of him, and God elevated a king. God picked David, a shepherd. And he elevated him to the throne and said, this is going to be the king of my people. And David did a wonderful job. Throughout the reign of David, you see that the people of Israel are, are brought into subjection to the Lord, that he started to, to, bring it, to encourage the worship of the Lord in Israel. He started to, to bring things back, and it began, the kingdom that David ruled began to look more and more like the kingdom is supposed to look, began to, look, to, to make the world around him look more and more like, like it was supposed to look. And so, so it looks like maybe David is the king that the world needs. Right? Maybe David is the one that's going to bring the world back into subjection to God, to quell the anarchy, to fix what's broken. Maybe David is the guy. But as we read the book of 2 Samuel and we see David's life, we see that, that he's not perfect. We see that, that he's lustful, that he's murderous, that he's arrogant at times, that he's indecisive, that he mourns when he should celebrate, that he celebrates when he should mourn. Like David is not a perfect person. So no matter how well he followed the Lord, no matter how well he ruled, he was not going to be the ultimate king that the world needs. 
He was not going to be the one that was going to restore the world to what it's supposed to be, to quell the anarchy, to break the rebellion, and to bring the world back to God. He wasn't, he wasn't it. But because he was a great king, because he followed the Lord, this is what God told him, 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can read in the, in the Bible with me or the words will be on the screen. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, this is what God told David. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever because of, uh, before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So what God tells David is, you're not the king. You're not the one who's going to fix the world. You're not the one that's going to bring the entire world, all of creation, back in subjection to God. You're not the one who's going to do the job of quelling the rebellion and, and stopping all the brokenness in the world and bringing everything back. You're, it's not going to be you, but it is going to be someone from your line. It's going to be someone from your lineage, someone, one of your descendants is going to be the king. And he's not just going to be a temporary king over one kingdom or province. He is going to be the king of all things forever. Like his kingdom, his throne shall be before the Lord for all of eternity. There is going to be a king from the line of David who's going to come and restore all things, bring everything in subjection to God, and make the world back to what it was supposed to be. Fast forward a thousand years. Like we think maybe, maybe the next son of David, right? Maybe his son Samuel, uh, uh, Solomon is going to be a good king, and he's not, right? He, he has all the promise, all the wisdom in the world, and he, he marries 800 women and, and falls into a lot of different problems, right? Like clearly not the brightest guy ever in humanity. And, uh, and so he's clearly not going to be the king. He falls into a lot of sin, ends up rejecting the Lord. And so we, we follow the lineage of David, and on every single line, we're like, maybe this is the king. Maybe this is the king. Maybe this is the king. And it never is. T generation after generation, king after king, none of them fulfill that role. None of them restore the world. Until a thousand years after the life of David, on one quiet night in Bethlehem, one silent night as we sing uh, in the song Silent Night, the, the shepherds are out in the field. They are waiting for this king, this Messiah, the leader who's going to come. And the angels come and they let them know that the Savior has been born, that the Messiah that you've been waiting for is here, that the King that you have been waiting for is arrived and his name is Jesus. They run into the city and they, they see uh, Jesus lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. Jesus has been born, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who's going to come and restore all things. The King that they've been waiting for has been born and they celebrate and they rejoice because the Savior is here. His name, Jesus, means to restore the one who's going to bring about all the change, all the restoration, everything that they've been waiting for, that that Jesus is going to be this king, that he's going to sit on a throne and rule the world and bring all things in subjection to God, that this Jesus is the one who they've been waiting for. We know the story of the wise men. Likely a few months after his birth, they're, they're walking around trying to find Jesus, and who do they ask for? They say, where is the king of the Jews? 
right? Where is the king that the Jewish people have been waiting for? Where is the king that has been prophesied? They don't say, where is this baby? Where is this one that we're looking for? They specifically say, where is the king? Jesus is the king. They've been waiting for for over a thousand years. Jesus is the king that the world has been waiting for since the moment sin entered the world with Adam and Eve. Jesus is the king who's going to restore all things to the way they're supposed to be. We get the life of Jesus. He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't grow up in a palace. He doesn't wield any, any power and authority on earth from a throne. He doesn't, he doesn't look like a king, and, and he ends up dying on a cross. Not really what you would expect from the king of kings, the one who will restore all things. But then he rises again from the grave. Now we're getting better. <laughs> right? He rises again from the grave, and, and he goes through all of that, the death and the resurrection, to give us an opportunity to be brought back into the kingdom of God, to be restored in our relationship with him. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling over all things. And he is continuing to rule. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he will continue to rule until all things have been brought into subjection to him. Until all of creation and all of his enemies are a footstool to him, and then he will give it all to the Father. That Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is ruling over all things until it's all brought in subjection to God. The Bible tells us in Revelation that that day is coming. When Jesus is going to come back, not as a baby, not as a humble child, but as the Bible says in Revelation, with, with the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on him. And he will be riding on a white horse. The imagery there is that it will be no question that the King has arrived. That the one that we've been waiting for to subject the world to him is here. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to restore all things. He's going to bring everything in subjection to him. He's going to bring back everything. Uh, he's going to bring the world back into a relationship with God. He's going to quell the rebellion. He's going to stop the anarchy. He's going to fix what's broken. And he's going to rule with love and grace and righteousness and peace. He's going to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God here to earth. That's the Jesus that we celebrate. That's the Jesus we are lifting up. He's not just another child. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not just another person. He's the one who will rule all things. He's the one worthy of all worship and honor and praise because he is the king bringing all things in subjection to God. That's who we celebrate on Christmas. It's the birth of the Savior. How do we, this is, the, this is what I want you to see tonight. We should celebrate the birth of Jesus because he's the king who will end rebellion and bring peace. We shouldn't just celebrate Jesus because that's what you do on Christmas. We don't just say Merry Christmas because it sounds better than Happy Holidays and it makes a point. We celebrate Jesus because we're celebrating the birth of the King of Kings, the one who's going to end rebellion, stop the anarchy, and bring peace to the world. That's what the angels tell the shepherds. He will come to bring peace on earth and goodwill, it doesn't say to men, if you actually watch it, look at the language, goodwill to those with whom he is pleased. Goodwill with those who are in his kingdom. Goodwill with those who submit to him as Lord and King. He is going to come and rule with peace and love and righteousness. How do we respond to this? Two things. Number one, is know that there's going to be a day when everything will be brought in subjection to Jesus. And it will be much better for us 
if we are already in subjection to Jesus on that day. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to bring everything under the will and authority and power of God. He's going to bring everything in alignment with God's, uh, with, with God's will. He's going to bring everything in conformity with him, and he's going to do away with all wickedness, all unrighteousness, all rebellion, and all sin. You do not want to find yourself on the wrong end of this wrath. But Jesus will come again in justice. And he will do away with injustice. He will do away with brokenness. And he will do away with our rebellion. And anyone who is left still fighting, anybody who is left as a rebel, left following their own devices, following their own passions, he will do away with them. But Jesus, the whole reason that he died and rose again, Jesus could have done that the first time. He could have come and subjected everything to God the very first time, but the reason he came and died and rose again was to give us an opportunity to willingly lay down our arms, to return, to reject our sin, to, uh, to, re- to uh, repent of our sin, and to put our faith and hope and trust in him, to, to submit to him as king, to become part of his eternal kingdom. So the very first thing that we, we need to do tonight as if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never submitted to him as king, then tonight, don't just say Merry Christmas. Don't just be happy that Jesus was born. Don't just have a manger and a, and a nativity scene in your yard. Place your faith and hope in Jesus. Submit to him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Trust in him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. The second thing that we need to do We need to celebrate the birth of Jesus with all that we have. It should bring great joy and excitement to know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has been born, that the the Savior of the world has come. And it's not just another child. This is God himself choosing to add humanity to his deity to be our Savior, to be our King. This is God himself choosing to come and fix what's broken in our world and in our lives. And that should bring up within us great excitement and great joy. When, when Jesus talks to, or when the, when the angels talk to the shepherds, they say, I've got, I bring you great news, which should uh, be for the joy of all people. And there should be joy and excitement that comes with knowing that Jesus has been born, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of all things. If we really have submitted to him as king, then his birth should give us joy and excitement, and we should love to celebrate it. We shouldn't just celebrate it on Christmas. We should want to, to celebrate it year-round, but we should especially around Christmas time be extra excited and joyful that Jesus came, God, Son of God, God himself added humanity to his deity to be our King, our Lord, and our Savior. And that should lead us to celebrate. That should lead us to praise. That should lead us to, to have joy in our hearts as we sing these Christmas songs, as we worship and praise him, as we read the Christmas story, the, the nativity scene, as we, as we talk about these things, as we, as we look at the, the decorations and all the other things that come with Christmas. That should give us this, this joy knowing that the King of Kings is here, that he has been born, and that he is coming back to restore all things to him. That we don't need one night of peace a year that Jesus is coming to bring peace to the world, to get rid of all that is broken. So the second way that we respond tonight is to celebrate 
the work of God, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, to sing with all that we have, to, to, to see joy in our lives as we, as we lift up the name of Jesus in our life and in the world. So what we're going to do in just a second, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing. If you're here tonight and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never submitted him to him as king, then all of your Merry Christmases, all of your Keep Christ and Christmases, all of your nativity scenes are worthless if you haven't placed your faith in him, if you haven't submitted to him as king. And if that's you and you've never done that, do not leave here tonight without grabbing me, and I would love to tell you more about what it means to follow Jesus and to place your faith and hope in him. That is the greatest gift that I could possibly give you is to share with you more about trusting in him, submitting to him as king, and becoming part of the kingdom of God. And then uh, after I pray, we're going to sing. And this is a wonderful opportunity to practice this, this second application that we can sing in celebration of who Jesus is. We can sing, Hosanna, King Jesus. Hosanna, all praise. We can sing in joy and excitement about the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's here. So in just a second, like I said, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And as we sing, sing with joy, sing with passion, sing with excitement because of who we are singing about and who we're singing to. It's not just another child. It's not just another baby. It is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is our Savior. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you sent your Son to earth to die on a cross for us. And you raised him from the grave to give us eternal life. And God, I thank you that Jesus is coming back to, to subject all things to, his, uh, to you. That he is coming to put away all brokenness, all sinfulness, all rebellion, all anarchy. He's coming to end all of it, to bring peace and life and joy to the world. God, I pray for every single person in here. God, I pray that they will be part of that kingdom, God, that they will trust in you, that they will, they will submit to Jesus as king, and they will be part of that kingdom, that they will experience that love and joy and peace. God, I pray they'll experience it tonight. God, I pray that they will know what it's like to have peace with you tonight through Jesus. God, I pray that, that all of us who have peace with you, that all of us who, who know you and love you and have been saved, God, I pray that, that tonight we would sing with joy and praise in light of the birth of Jesus. That that would give us excitement knowing that the King of kings and Lord of lords has been born, he's died and risen again, and that he's coming back for us. Father, let's sing with joy and praise. Give us a passion for the name of Jesus. We love you and praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.